So I've got a question for you today. When were you saved? So I'm just going to let that sit for just a minute. Just let it linger. I have to tell you, growing up in the state of Texas, I think I've heard and experienced that question a lot of times. Uh, from time to time, it'd be a knock on the door. If you remember, uh, there was a day when churches used to do that. They'd kind of cold call a neighborhood, knock on doors. You know, we're going to share the gospel tonight. And if you open the door, uh, you'd be met with a question. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven? So if you answered in the affirmative, yeah, I, th I think I'd go to heaven. Someone would probably follow up. So tell us, when were you saved? Then sometimes within the context of conversations uh, with, with other Christians, maybe a fellowship of Christian athletes, uh, compadre, or, or you're at a campus life event, uh, or maybe you're standing beside someone at a, an old promise keepers outing. So a Christian outing, where inevitably after self-introductions and talking about what church you would attend, someone would say, hey, tell me about you. Give, give me your testimony. Tell us when you were saved. Having paid a little bit of attention to the question of conversion, uh, I've, I've kind of made note of the fact that people's answers to that question can vary a lot. Uh, one person might answer with a specific date, maybe even a time of day. So me? Yeah, I, I was saved Saturday, May 18th, 1985 at 10 p.m. I mean, that that precise. So a lot of individuals can tell you the exact circumstances that they believe led to their conversion. Others are kind of more broadly answering the questions. Saved? Well, I kind of feel like I came to know the Lord back in my high school days. They don't have necessarily a specific date or time, but they are able to locate their conversion to a generally specific time frame. Uh, and then there's those who provide more of a, let's just call it a sacramental answer. Uh, I was saved at my baptism. That's when faith entered into my life. Uh, in that regard, these individuals are, are able to locate a specific day and time where they believe conversion took place in their life. You know, it all raises for me a question. Do we or, or can we know when we were saved? Even deeper yet, what does it mean to be saved? What forces are at play in the conversion of a person? Is conversion resistible or irresistible? When was I saved? Maybe there's more to the question than first meets the eye, which is why I'm glad you're joining me today for our podcast. In this episode of God Size Living, we're going to try to return to the opening of chapter seven of the book of Daniel, where we join the author of the book within the context of a dream that has taken place some 14 years before the collapse of Babylon. Now, in the opening of his dream, Daniel makes a comment that I believe leads us into the topic of conversion, but it does so through a very narrow lens. Uh, in the course of looking at the question, when were you saved? I want to discover with you several biblically informed ways that people can approach an answer to that question. Now, I'm, going to, I'm going to warn you up front that this episode is one where you're going to need to hold on to your, your hat a little bit. We're going to toggle between the narratives of Daniel, the Revelation, and Romans. And in the end, it's my hope that we can just lift up a few insights about what we call in our church circles, conversion. Now, as we get ready to dig into this episode, I want to tell you that one of my all-time favorite books on the subject of conversion is Richard Fletcher's The Barbarian 
conversion. If you, if you don't know that name, Richard was a lecturer and a professor at York University in England back in the 1970s and on. In 1997, he took his formidable knowledge of history and used it to think through the spread of Christianity across the globe. Always curious. I, I love Fletcher's why questions. He asks, you know, why did Pope Gregory I decide to send a mission to convert the English to Christianity? Or what was it that took Patrick to Ireland or Boniface to Germany or Anscar to Sweden or Cyril and Methodius to Moravia? And maybe those names aren't familiar to you, but within the context of history, all of these played pivotal roles in the spread of the gospel. Within Fletcher's analysis of conversion narratives, I've always kind of found a reminder that maybe not all who called themselves converted necessarily were. That, that includes questions that have surrounded the conversion of Constantine in 313 AD, a conversion that will be debated until time ends. Why? I actually think it has to do with the nature of a conversion itself. So while Fletcher's book isn't really meant to be a systematic, it, do, it, does, it doesn't raise every question. It does raise for the reader the question, what, what exactly is conversion? Is it an act of God? Is it an act of man? Is it both? Which, of course, brings us back to the fundamental question that I, I wanted to begin with today. When were you saved? A question which, in a subtle way, Daniel points us toward as he describes the dream that God has given him over a decade before the fall of Babylon. Let's go back to that story. Uh, I'm just going to read verses 1 to 3 of the dream. And as I do, I want you to really feel what's happening to Daniel. This dream is much like the vision that John, the writer of the Revelation, receives while on the island of Patmos. In that, it's probably best described as an ecstasy. Now, technically, that word, ecstasy, is made up of two parts, ex, or out of, and stasis, standing. In the Bible, ecstasies are, are dreams where a person has the sensation of literally being lifted up out of their body and drawn into the action of the dream. Ecstasy is the dream equivalent of what we might call virtual reality today. So, as I read these verses, I really do. I want you to try to feel this scene. Daniel is sleeping when God lifts him up and into this action. I'm just going to pray, Lord, that you, you let us really hear and feel uh, what you gave to Daniel so many years ago. Amen. This is verse uh, one. It reads as follows. It says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, and he told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like, like a lion, and it had eagle's wings. And I'm going to stop there. I'm going to ask you, what did you feel as I read those words? It's kind of a, a powerful image. You, you can hear, if you, if, you really, if you really feel it, you can, you can hear winds howling and a steed, 
sea stirred up into a tumultuous roar. Uh, part of me sees that famous image from the 1991 movie, The Perfect Storm. If you remember the movie, there's this scene where the winds whip the ocean into such a fury that men and boats stand no chance. There's a violence that comes upon the sea that overthrows everything that tries to ride upon it. I want you to feel that. And then I want you to ask the question, the four winds of heaven that Daniel sees raging across the sea, where have you seen these before? Do they seem familiar to you even a little bit? So remember, I told you to hold on to your hat for this episode because we're going to do a little bit of jumping around. Uh, you see, these four winds, as well as the imagery of the beasts coming out of the sea, should seem a little bit familiar to you because we see them again all the way at the end of the Bible. We find them in the book of Revelation, chapters 6 and 7. And actually, the description of the winds that we see in the last book of the Bible, the Revelation, from a chronological perspective, precede the winds that we see here, stirring up the oceans. So here, here's what I want to do. I want to go to Revelation 6 and just read a bit and give you some context. So I'm just going to begin with verse 1. This is Revelation 6. I want you just to, just to listen for the, the winds. Um, Let's begin reading. It says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a, a voice like loud thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. Let's just stop there for a moment. Remember what's happening uh, in this chapter of the Revelation. Over the years, the scene has become somewhat well known in our culture as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's kind of a terrible scene. So, so what's going on here? I'm going to get a little bit high level, but I want you to remember with me that the vision that God has given to John in the Revelation is meant to show us what we can expect to happen on planet Earth during the time frame that we're living in today, the time frame that precedes the second coming of Jesus. And it isn't pretty. What John has seen in this scripture is a book that has seven seals on it. Now, no one on Earth can open these seals, but there's one who can, and that's the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Now, as the Lamb comes forward, he, he opens each seal, and something hard, something horrible happens with the opening of each seal. Notice that in the section of chapter 6 we just read, um, that there's these figures riding horses, and they're set free to ride across the earth, and they bring death, and they bring destruction. In fact, as this podcast is being produced, I, I believe we're watching one of these horses we just read about, the red horse, ride at full speed across the globe in the form of what war? Russia has, in an unprovoked manner, imposed its military might upon the people of the Ukraine. We're, we're daily. We are just watching horror. This is... While global leaders in the East and West posture towards the consequences of this war. Uh, listen, the red horse is riding at gallop speed. Make no mistake about it. 
So what does this have to do with Daniel? Or for that matter, with our question, when were you saved? I'm glad you asked. You see, there's there's actually seven seals that bind up the book or scroll that John sees in his vision. The seventh seal sets in front of us the exact four winds of heaven that Daniel sees in his dream. But I want you to notice what's different about them. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 from Revelation 7. Listen for the winds and for what's different here from the passage we read in Daniel 7. Lord, give us your insights, I pray. Here we go. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called out with a loud voice to the four angels that had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Okay, I know that's a lot, but let, let me ask you the question. How are the winds in this vision different than the winds in Daniel's vision? Did you catch it? So what's the primary difference? So in Daniel's vision, the winds are what? They're actively blowing against the sea. Think perfect storm. We heard it, we felt it, but not here. Here there are angels that are holding back the winds from the sea. The angels, in fact, are instructed by God not to release the winds until what? This is where our subject of conversion fits in. So, so listen carefully. Until God has sealed every servant of Jesus Christ. Translated, God is sealing every person in all of history who will, through faith, trust in him to eternal life. So, so let's ask this question, time frame. Which comes first, the winds in Daniel's dream or these? Kind of be careful how you answer chronologically, we know that Daniel's dream or vision comes long before the vision given to John on the island of Patmos. We know that. So we might be tempted to say, well, the winds of Daniel's dream precede those of John's revelation, but not so fast. We also know the revelation is placing all of history into perspective, right? The revelation provides a broad sweep of history that takes us all the way back to a time before time. And that is where I believe we're standing when we read Revelation 7. That's where we're standing as the seventh seal of the scroll is open. The revelation is taking us back to a moment in time prior to God speaking his creative first words, let there be. So in simple terms, what the revelation shows us is that before time even began, God already sealed those who would trust him for salvation. So that when the winds begin to blow against the sea, i.e. Daniel's dream, those sealed by God would, would face those winds in faith. Isn't that awesome? So what does it have to do with our question? When were you saved? This subject's got a lot of depth to it, and so we're, we're going to take a pause, and we'll finish this uh, next week, because I really do want to get into... Uh, four different perspectives that I think people can have when we ask this question, uh, when was I saved? I think we're starting to get a feel for it here uh, 
through this section of, of both Daniel and Revelation that there's a sense in which we can say, hmm, God seems to be active saving people who have not yet even come into being through the holding back of, of these winds that blow against the sea, the winds that ultimately come throughout history. Uh, we're going to pick up with that next week. Um, until then, I want to thank you for listening in on this podcast. I hope that it, it's of value to you, and I hope you'll share it with someone else. Uh, listen, until next week, uh, I'm going to ask that you, you pray for me. I, I'm going to be praying for you. And listen, have a God-sized week. <music>